hell hath no fury like an angry mom or dad that has suddenly figured out that their son has been sent down to a war that they didn't even know was happening. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. We're in the first class lounge here of Flyover Country. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host, Scott Jennings, Kevin Grout, Sean Southern, and Jared Crawford. Hello, Scott. Joe Arnold, good to be with you. Gentlemen, Kevin, Sean, Jared, good to see you all. Our weekly take on the news and other developments across the world, and certainly all of us, I think, were captivated by by the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. Is it Vladimir? I I don't want to give him Vladimir. Vladimir. I I knew I was not quite right on there, but also it it trips me up sometimes. He has two Ys at the end of his last name. That's a whole other story. Anyway, Zelensky today. Speaking, I, I guess at the congressional, he's like that. He's like that uh, Wookie character on, uh, on uh, uh, what do you call it? Boba Fett, the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, that he had a, yeah. he had strange Ys in his name. Yeah, I mean very similar. Go on. It took only forty five <laughs> seconds. That's for why. That's Star why Wars. Joe struggles with the Ys. His first, his first understanding of the double Y was from Star Wars. That's right. That's right. Something he refuses to appreciate. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, Scott, a moving speech uh, on Wednesday by uh, Vladimir uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, speaking, of course, remotely uh, to the you know, the assembled members of Congress. And I guess there's an auditorium at the Capitol Visitor Center because it wasn't in the ho- it wasn't in the house. Sean, where is it? Yeah, so it's. I mean, Kevin probably knows better than I do. But when when I was an intern, at least at the U.S. Capitol, they would have sessions where you could come into this huge auditorium where they have a big screen and they would invite speakers in. And so it's one of the the new developments there at the the Capitol Visitor Center. Kevin, do you have anything you want to add there? In terms yeah, of- it's it's right there in the Visitor Center. That's where you can take a tour. When you do take a tour, you see this great video produced by a Kentuckian um, about the history of the Capitol. And so a lot of uh, so you can so you can go in it on a on a normal basis, but also Congress can commandeer it. Right. For those purposes. Well, the, the, yeah. it's it's theirs, you know. If they need to have a movie well, night, no, it's or... the people's. It's probably one of the biggest <laughs> venues to have in a like a viewing, like the audience. Huh. The, it's like a huge auditorium. Like I. Oh, by the way, by the way, did you guys see this guy? Was it Peter Rich on Twitter? Uh, who t- <laughs> he tweeted today, like right as Zelensky was speaking. Hold on, you got to look. This oh, guy. I, I know you're talking. And about. it was like, is it too much to ask? Yeah. You know, Zelensky to put on a suit. Doesn't this guy own a suit? Like, I don't, he said something like, I don't like Congress either, but I wouldn't disrespect them by wearing a T-shirt. He's <laughs> he just literally, got, this dude just I mean, got roasted on Twitter. I'm just saying, but I mean, he should because Zelensky is literally in a bunker. I mean, right. when you're going into the presidential palace now, it, there there are, you know, sandbags, there are you know, barricades. It, it is lame is. You know who's taking fashion advice from Zelensky right now is Emmanuel Macron. Uh, the leader of France. Really? He, he's got uh, pictures of him on Twitter in the presidential palace with a uh, scruffy beard, his fatigues on, in the middle of the war. war yeah, Macron scene. is like crying in some of these Macron, photos. Like why crying, would, why would he have on emotional. fatigues in France? Because he's trying to tap into this thing that Zelensky's got going. Not Rich, sorry. Peter Schiff. Schiff is the Schiff, guy's name. Okay. I understand times are hard, but doesn't the president of Ukraine own a suit? Oh my God! I don't have much respect for current <laughs> members of Congress either, but I still wouldn't address them wearing a T-shirt. I wouldn't want to disrespect the institution or the United States. And then it just—I mean, just the cascade of scorn for, <laughs> for this guy today was it took over Twitter for. A Does while. he understand also that this was uh, and there's a difference between being a remote, you know, uh, broadcast in and actually traveling to D.C. and you know giving it in the well of Congress. 
I mean, again, this is so stupid. I mean, just yeah. keep, this this guy's literally a a commander now of a war that he never anticipated, never right. thought was going to happen, and so that that's just it's that's just silly. And I was going to make a sans culottes joke about you know you know cut off pants to the knees oh. about <laughs> Emmanuel Macron, but the moment has kind of passed. But it I has just, passed. I just, I just, I'm just, sorry that I, I missed your cue on that. I was, I was trying hard over here. I, I'm still sensing it. It was because it was kind of it was good. It's a good job. Uh, now, but Zelensky on on Wednesday just. The thing, Scott, about Zelensky to me, and a mark of a great leader in general, and, and, and politicians need to do this when they're asking, when they're trying to run for office, some people don't know when to make the ask, when to make the declaration, when to say, this is what I want. He ha- There was no equivocation here. I need basically the skies to be clear. I need for protected, and if and then he also gave an alternative. Say, if not, you need to give me this this aid and be able to give us enough weapons to be able to shoot these people down. But so often, and I'll go to you first, Scott. I'm just curious about you all of your experience in politics. Some people are they they're not a clincher. They're, they they fail to get, kind of like reach the point where they say, "This is what I want." He's obviously a very naturally gifted communicator. You know, he knows how to speak, and and he has. Um, uh, uh, theatrical is not the right word, but it, it is a it, it is a performance. You know, it's performative in that he knows how to crescendo sentences. He knows how to deliver the ask. He knows when to do it. Like it, it's it, it's a it's very it's a lot of talent to be able to do that, and not everybody can do it, and and uh, most people don't do it well. And so uh, it's been very impressive to watch him use those talents. Um, obviously, in this grave situation. I mean, he has little choice though. I mean, it's, it's, he needs things. And if he doesn't get them, there's a chance his country will be destroyed, uninhabitable, you know, uh, in some cities. And so I was, I admired his ask. I don't think the United States is going to give it to him. I don't think we're going to engage in a no-fly zone, but it's obvious we're sending some anti-aircraft missile systems. And then I read today, we're sending some switchblade drones, which I guess are armed and can inflict quite a lot of damage. I, I don't quite understand, by the way, the difference between us sending unmanned aerial vehicles that are armed and not sending the MiGs, which are manned. I, I, to me, the, 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 these distinctions without a difference, like I don't understand what the Biden people are doing, blocking these airplanes specifically and then turning around and sending all sorts of other flying killing machines. And how are they getting, I guess, at first I was thinking with the MiGs, and I was just probably just making something up in my head, trying to make sense of it all. To your point, Scott, it was like, well, how are they getting them from Poland into Ukraine? If you have to fly them, is then is that the NATO territory into Russian territory? But to your point, they still have to find a way to get this other stuff across the border. Right. And uh, there's a lot of open questions there. Um, I a lot of this diplomatic song and dance, I'm, it's very important, and I know there's a lot of protocol in there, but to the average observer, it just seems nonsensical. Well, Putin has already said he considers the sanctions to be an act of war. So, we're, we're already in World War Three, according to some people. According to him. We're, I mean, we've declared war. That's number one. Number two, he's already said they're going to shoot at and attack the supply lines of the weapons that are already coming in. So they've already targeted what we're already doing. So I... I, it's funny, Biden. They dug in on this airplane thing, and then you know, well, they don't really need them. They don't. They're not flying that many sorties. They don't have command and control. And my look, maybe they're right. Here's my question: If they don't need them, why are they begging for them? I mean, they're begging for these things, and I don't think they'd be begging for stuff that they didn't need. And so, was it clear to me why the Pentagon did this? And they blame, you know, the Biden administration said this was a Pentagon deal. And if we're doing this diplomatic dance and tiptoeing around Putin. 
and he's saying things like that, we're, we're dancing by ourselves. I mean, I guess the dance, though, has something to do with the fact that we're depending upon the Russians to negotiate with Iran right now, which is still blows my mind. I don't know. I mean, it's just outrageous. I, th- I think this is happening anyway. I think we're relying upon that, and they're getting the contracts. And I mean, this whole, oh. you know, it's, it's crazy that we're basically going to be funding the war in these deals that we're working out in Iran. Yeah, I, I think, Joe, to the question that you originally started with is like the, the core idea of statesmanship is like rhetoric and like really applying pressure at the time. And like Zelensky has risen to the occasion on this. Like he has really shown his true colors and he, like whether it's the fact that he was an actor or a comedian or whatever, that he, he's he has risen to the occasion. He's, he is now a statesman, not only for his country, but arguably for the West. I think that a lot of people in the West are looking to him and like, had it be, been anybody else at that moment and not reacted the same way he had, I think we might be in a different place. And if I could counter one thing you said, Scott, along those lines, where you're saying he has no choice, he actually did have a choice, and he does have a choice. He could leave. I mean, he could he could take the, the out to say, I want to save the lives of these people. We're going to accept whatever terms, basically succumb to this. But he decided a long time ago, all right, well, it's been four, we're into the fourth week now, but he decided... This is this is worth fighting for. You know, it's, it's interesting on the communications question you asked. You know, the the people in this world who have that talent, you know, who have the ability to to marshal, you know, words and language and do it in a persuasive way. I mean, how many of them don't go into politics, and so they don't get put into these positions where, you know, you could find yourself in a moment where it's absolutely useful and necessary and 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 a rallying uh, tool, and um, uh, and he he. You know, this is where the man met the moment, or the moment met the man. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure which is which. But thank God there is an eloquent communicator on behalf of not just the Ukrainian people, but the idea that we just can't let people roll into another country and slaughter people at will. It's just we can't allow this. We cannot allow this. And and yet, you know, we are. I mean, let's just be honest. Every time we say we're gonna defend every inch of NATO territory, what we're actually saying is we'll defend no inches of Ukrainian territory. Now, I know we're giving them weapons and, and help, and that's good, but we're, we're saying that there's some territory that we will not defend. It's it's a very delicate, like, foreign policy question, because we know the moment that, like, this whole idea about the no-fly zone, for instance, the moment that we shoot down a Russian plane over Ukraine, I mean, that is ratcheting up this to the next level. It's already very bad. But I was speaking to a friend of mine who had studied in both Russia and in Ukraine, and sh- she was telling me that, like, the on-the-ground stuff that sh- from her friends and colleagues that she had during that time, very difficult time. She's seen brutal images, but also, like, she's torn because she knows that the amount of humanitarian disaster that she's seen is atrocious. And she's kind of like us saying, you know, why aren't we doing more? But also, like, we have a madman in Putin that— is already ratcheted this up to a level of nuclear threat that is totally unprecedented. I mean, I mean, he's calculated that we will not step in militarily. I mean, their calculation is is that the West will allow him to run amok in non-NATO countries. And Ukraine's not the last one. I mean, there's a few other places over there where he could go. We've got to admit Finland and Sweden, I guess, you know, fairly quickly. Uh, I would be very nervous if I were them. But it, it, it is, it's absolutely true. We have said it's not worth escalation to save the Ukrainians. Now, again, I know we're sending them stuff and lethal aid and weapons, and I, I'm glad we are. But we have sacrificed Ukraine to some degree in order to 
preserve the status quo of you know NATO versus Russia, and, and 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 the risk of Vladimir Putin having basically us taking the bait. Some people would say by going that far and then risking a massacre of many more nations and of, on, on a nuclear scope. Two things to point out here. One is that just a, what, one quote from Zelensky uh, to the Congress today, and really, but speaking through them to Biden, you are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Now, yes, he's talking to the world, talking to Biden, but in some ways it, it's, 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 he's almost shaming him to some respect. Well, and again, being a master of rhetoric, in that speech and his delivery, it was the one time that he broke away and spoke in English. Right. There was a break in there where he was speaking first in Ukrainian. They showed a horrific video of just the bloodshed and, and just some terrible, terrible images. And then once that came out of that video, you're right. And then he broke into English. And, there, and it was for people in the room, apparently, there was a, just a palpable reaction. People, people, the American people are having a dual impulse right now. We talk, talked about this on Sunday on State of the Union with uh, Banabash and, and uh, some others. But I think on the one hand, we see these images and the politicians, I think, see it and the people see it. And we all have the same impulse. Like, we want to do something. Americans want to do something. It's our instinct to do good. It's our instinct to, to save people. It's our instinct to stand up for the downtrodden. That's our American instinct. But on the other hand, we're still war weary. I mean, there's a, there's a huge isolationist strain in this country. We, you know, uh, it's the it's the impulse that led Biden to pull us out of Afghanistan. It's the impulse that led Trump to to have uh, isolationist viewpoints. It's the impulse that led Trump to say right as he was taking office that he didn't think it was necessary for the United States to live up to its Article Five NATO um, uh, responsibilities. And so you have that going on and at the same time you have this very american instinct to help and and i think we're still resolving it and zelensky tapped into that american instinct to help but where they've yet to solve i don't know if communications can solve this is just the war weariness of the united states and sort of the the disenchantment with foreign entanglements that that i guess came after you know then war in iraq war in afghanistan i mean we had 20 years of this and people People are weary about us sending sending soldiers again. So I, I think Americans are still resolving this issue psychologically in, inside their own minds. I have a clip here to play from PBS NewsHour on Wednesday night. Jane Ferguson is an excellent journalist who actually reported from Afghanistan for quite a while. Now she's moved to Ukraine, but she's sort of as the voice you'll hear in the middle of this. This is Vladimir Putin, though, through a translator and what he's saying about what to prepare for and his own people. All our goals will be achieved. We will provide security for Russia and our people, and we will never allow Ukraine to serve as a base for acts of aggression against our country. And he had a chilling message for those within Russia who oppose the war and look to the West for progress. The Russian people will always be able to distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors and simply spit them out like a fly that accidentally flew into the mouth. Spit them out. I'm convinced that such a natural and necessary cleansing of society will only strengthen our country. A senior These are, that's, that's Jane Ferguson. For, I mean, what horrific words. You know, for somebody who, you know, used the idea that the Ukrainians were dabbling in Nazism yeah. uh, to then say that sort of language is... It is Nazi-esque. No question. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a racial purification is, is what we just heard. I mean, it's absolutely... 
it's it's very chilling, but he's, on so he's many levels. giving away that his people aren't necessarily united behind him, and he's he's acknowledging that there is dissent, and I'm wondering if that means that it's bigger than even what we're already hearing about. That we, we've seen point. pictures of Russian the Russian people out on the streets protesting, and I wonder if he knows there's more of that out there. And, and a heavy dose of this goes into the algorithm that our you know diplomats are trying to do every day about what can we do here and what can we get away with and what kind of political position is Putin in at home and, and trying to discern just how much dissent, how bad is it for him at home? How in danger is he? How I mean, is his regime in danger of... of falling. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, you'd hope that the Russian people are outraged and you'd hope that the quality of life degradation they've suffered is meaningful to them. Uh, but it's it's just it's hard to know. But it goes back to the end game question of all this that you raised earlier in terms of, you know, what's going to stop this and to the extent to which we're going to allow this horrible massacre to go on because, Ukraine Ukrainians are more expendable than the rest of the Europe or the rest of the world. That's what we said. I mean, right. we we yeah. have said that non-NATO territory is is essentially expendable. We don't like it. We stand with them. We'll give you some guns and stuff to fight back and some money and try to help with the humanitarian side, but we have said this geography is not as important as other geography and if you happen to live in it, sorry. You have to wonder what's going to happen. I'm sorry, Sean, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, this week in world history has a lot of importance because, you know, we had celebrated recently the 15th of March, which is the Ides of March. Indeed. And I think that there is a lot of historical weight to this week. And I think that the best situation is for these people to throw this lunatic out of power and to restore some semblance of normal governance to this. And, and that's what needs to happen here. It's, and I think that's the point of the sanctions, frankly. It's it's interesting because I Ultimately. think I think well I agree with you. And I I've, I've been talking to a lot of people about this. How how much are the Russian people sur- suffering right now? How much life change has occurred for them already? And then what are they prepared to do about? It? I mean, if you were if you're under 30, I mean, if, if you don't remember the Berlin Wall. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. I mean, there's a bunch of people that grew up in Russia with pretty much access to travel, you can go to McDonald's, you can get on the internet, you can watch TV. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a more westernized existence they've had. There are other people who are older than that who remember the old Soviet system and, and what kind of life that was. But there's a huge population of Russians that are too young to remember what it was like before you could grab a Big Mac. The, the other thing, too, is that the Russians, like, these these soldiers that were shipped down before this happened, like the, the Ukrainians have created a website that for if you you want to find your Russian son that was enlisted in the army, here's a website where you can find your your, your son. And the, hell hath no fury like an angry mom or dad that has suddenly figured out that their son has been sent down to a war that they didn't even know was happening. And so I think that there is a real real possibility that for all the sanctions and for everything else that's going on, that nothing like a bunch of angry parents rising up and saying what the hell is my kid doing down there invading a country that you know we're basically related to during the cold war scott you know the soviet union was pretty much self-isolating it was their take was that they wanted to be themselves this is almost more like uh, the, the the cuban embargo this is you know a situation where the rest of the world is kind of is 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 walling off russia and and then this is where it becomes much more of a, a Cold War type of situation, where as long as these uh, sanctions are in effect and as long as we are blocking Russia off from as much of the rest of the world as possible, then it's going to be a much longer campaign to get them to ultimately 
make that choice on their own or, I guess, get used to it. I mean, we, we've essentially created another North Korea, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, yeah. it's an isolated, yeah. it's an isolated country that cannot get any you know, semblance of you know, uh, external culture and, and information. I mean, that, that's what we've done. We've turned a massive country with a lot of people into another North Korea. Now, say we, I mean, obviously, you know, is, 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 is there a culpability you mean there from, is, are you saying that it's our fault? Or are you no, saying, I'm saying that's the effect of the sanctions. Is right, we, right, yeah, we, yeah. It's going to be a long-term term geopolitical yeah. siege. Right, which is what we talked about last week. You know, was basically this is this is not a situation where it's an ongoing, or like it's a skirmish or it's a, it's a horrible situation. This is, I mean, think about it. I mean, Zelensky brought up today 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. Both of those events for the world ended up having decades of consequences that, that reshaped the way that we interacted with each other from a national standpoint. It's been a long-term, I guess, view in foreign policy circles that uh, engagement and culture and and access to information and people and and things it generally is a deterrent to war, right? right. If it, you know, even if your enemy, if, if if you're having some kind of cultural exchange with with what are your natural enemies, then then the people are less likely to want to go to war with each other, and so. You know, we don't have much cultural exchange or, or contact with North Korea. We're about to not have any with Russia. And so I, I wonder what the implications of that are, because over the last, you know, since the Berlin Wall fell, well, you experienced it. You went. I mean, you know, we've had, I mean, there's a lot of interaction between Americans and Russians. Well, that's going to go away. Mm-hmm. And whether that was corporate interaction or cultural interaction or academic interaction or diplomatic interaction, a lot of it happened. A commercial interaction. Well, that's all going to go away, and I, I just, I'm just not sure what the impact of that's going to be on our ability to manage them long term, and uh, and and what will Putin's ability to be to manage it internally? Because I'm sure the huge percentage of his population's gotten used to it and quite quite enjoys access to, you know, Western things. I want to ask you guys your reaction as well to one other moment that happened uh, on Wednesday. After the president announced the, I think, $800 million of aid and some of the different uh, ammunition and such that's going over there, he took a question, or he didn't take a question from a reporter, but then, curiously, he stepped back into the room. He was out of the room and then came back, and he, and he, and he tracked down with some help from an aide this reporter to say, now, what did you say again? So we'll listen to it. It's kind of hard to hear, but listen to this. I'm just curious. You asked me whether I was wrong. So it's hard to hear, but he, he basically came back and said, no, you asked me what? Rather curious, kind of like, it was clear to me that he knew what she had said, but maybe they went off and huddled off elsewhere and said, you need to go back in. But if you heard, if you missed the response was, oh, oh yeah, yeah, if you're asking me if he's a war criminal, he is a war criminal. That was the first time I think the president has called him a war criminal. Right. Other members of the administration had, but it was, they wanted to make sure that he had thrown the gauntlet that he, he's calling Putin a war criminal. I, I think it was pretty quick. I don't think that he was, like, taken out of the room. Like, oh, I, was, I saw, was, the, like, the full oh, clip earlier okay. today. Yeah, like, he was, he, he got the question. He had talked to a couple, like, other dignitaries that oh, were at he this turned event. away. And then he was about to leave the room, and he came back, and he was like, I think he realized that he, it donged on him that, like, oh, this is the question that I was asked, and I need to go back and and say so it seems to me i mean this is just i guess it is the way it works out sometimes if you have your speech ready and you're and this has all been very very carefully vetted i mean they've been taking a long time i mean there was a long delay i mean long in american terms i guess in terms of it took a couple of hours after Zelensky spoke and for biden to then to come out with his 
response to that. I have to I have, I can only imagine what's going on behind the scenes as they're they're figuring this out. But you would think that if he's prepared to say he's a war criminal, that would be part of his prepared remarks. Unless it Scott, is there something about being? I mean, even strategically having it be the answer to a question rather than it being uh, something that's part of a prepared text? I don't know. I mean, this is a—I guess there's a, a dip, big deal. There's a diplomatic distinction if, if you designate someone a war criminal and, and uh, pursue that sort of official moniker. I, I, and, I, and I don't know what the force of the process is now that the president has said it out loud— um, so I, I I truly don't know. I mean, I think most people's emotions are that he is a war criminal. It's pretty obvious, you know, by uh, the images we've seen that that I would consider this to be war crimes. But there's there are international, legal and diplomatic implications of that. And so now that Biden has said it, what do we have to do about it at the UN or or wherever? You almost wish it might have been part of his prepared remark, and maybe it being an answer to a question makes it less aggressive or something. Yeah, I mean, but I it it doesn't display the strength that I think that kind of charge well, I mean, look, he, he has pussyfooted around That's something. He's Vladimir back, Putin he's, he's right. backed into for this a year whole and a half. situation. He, right. he yeah. did it all of his first year in office. He obviously didn't want to sanction. Uh, I mean, he really thought appeasement was going to work, and it has not worked. But he's, you know, it's like he's having to be dragged, kicking and screaming to every proper outcome, every proper statement, every proper decision. And he's being dragged by the Congress in a bipartisan way, by Mitch McConnell, by Democrats in Congress, they're dra- I think by the American people, they're dragging him. He's always last. He's always last. And yes, the things they're doing, I guess, are right and proper. But one of Zelensky's messages has been, what are you where, where, for? where, where, where yeah. were you and where are you? And, 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 and I, I think when we look back on this, we're going to see this idea of appeasement. Well, McConnell made a floor speech this week in the Senate, and it was it was all about how we learn this lesson over and over. Appeasement does not work with people like this. You cannot appease your way out of this. You have to have American strength is what's necessary for peace in the world, not appeasement. And and it was really it was a really good floor speech. And McConnell was willing to put his money where his mouth is because, you know, there's a Politico ran a story that it was McConnell who called Schumer to up the amount of aid that. Well, ultimately, the package Congress passed was double, more than double what Biden asked for. And McConnell specifically doubled the military assistance inside of that. And so what Biden was asking for, the Congress obviously concluded this is nowhere near enough. This is nowhere near the strength that's necessary for us to lead in this situation. So it's like Biden has all the rhetoric of, you know, here's I'm going to pat myself on the back routinely for, you know, uniting the West and leading the West. He's not leading anything. The Congress is dragging him. Zelensky is rhetorically leading Western civilization right now. And Biden is sort of narrating this, but wanting credit for all of it. It's it's really bizarre. I, it, it, it does strike back, though, to sort of the the reorganization of, of, of America's role in the world under Barack Obama where it was far more of a we're one of many and, it, you know, the Europeanization of, of America. Right. And it seems to me that there is sort of that, you know, that Biden doesn't want to do anything out on his own because we're just one of many countries and Europe should be the ones leading this because it's their conflict anyway. That's at least that's my thought on it there. So, but uh, the, uh, but last week, Scott, we spoke briefly on this and I want to double back on this with you now that Mitch McConnell has been one of the most clear-eyed, and he's not one known for soaring rhetoric, but in terms of his uh, his uh, 
his his comments as well as his leadership and just basically his consistency throughout this whole thing. You've already mentioned it, yeah. But the fact that um, I mean this this is a, a a a defining moment again for him. Well, his his entire career he has been fighting the Russians. I mean, all during the Reagan years, all during the 90s. I mean, he has been a consistent supporter of NATO. He has been a consistent defender of the idea of expanding NATO. He has been clear from the beginning. I've got a column coming out about this, uh, which we'll, we'll read and put up on the, on the feed. But this, this whole idea that came up in 2019 during his reelection campaign, this Moscow Mitch baloney, if, if, if the people who invented that, which, by the way, was Joe Scarborough at MSNBC, the dim-witted, useless Joe Scarborough invented this. And then it was obviously picked up on by every Twitter troll out there. The Kentucky Democratic Party had a Moscow Mitch merchandise store. I mean, the, it was the re- current Speaker of the House. Yeah, it, 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 it yeah, absolutely. It, it was really ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, completely fabricated. And but once again, McConnell has proven to be the most clear-eyed person as it relates to the need for American strength in standing up to these Russians, the bully Putin, the thug Putin. And what it means for America to be viewed as strong on the world stage. And he's dragging Biden. And he's dragging him into into better outcomes. Thank God for this kind of clear-eyed leadership. And uh, and I hope everybody who piled on that Moscow Mitch garbage is hanging their head in shame. It's McConnell who is giving the Ukrainians what they need, dragging Biden to the proper outcomes. And he did the same thing with Afghanistan over this past summer. He was saying that... You know, Don't do it. It might it might be unpopular, but Don't the, do the it. current American presence had kept the lid on. There hadn't been an American service member killed over there in over a year. It was working. Yeah. And, you know, President Biden clearly didn't listen. The American people and the American government looked weak on the world stage and gave Putin his opening. I mean, it was a terrible moment and it and it basically destroyed Biden's presidency. I mean, it's it's that was the moment when his approval ratings cratered. Nobody trusted his competence anymore. Right. And, uh, and frankly, you could probably look at this as Vladimir Putin saw it as an opening. No question, because, I mean, he, he saw Biden as weak on two fronts. One, he saw Biden as capitulating to essentially popular sentiment, which is, you know, I'm just going to get out even if it's not the right strategic move. I have to do it for political reasons. And number two, at the same time, he was also trying to appease Putin by backing off, by approving Nord Stream, backing off on sanctions like I mean, just just the the cascading moments of weakness. Of course, of course, it was persuasive to Putin, and here we are. Here we are. I mean, this is this is at the feet of Joe Biden. I'm sorry. I I know Putin's a madman and he's the enemy, and we got to rally around the flag here. But you cannot interpret Biden's moves from the day he took office to the moment they invaded as anything other than weak appeasement, capitulation, all in the hopes that it turns out well. That's just how many times do we have to learn this lesson in history? Speaking of Biden and pers- and the powers of persuasion, he is now employing a whole new cadre of, of compatriots to help him tell his message. Why is gas so expensive and why is the United States inflation rate at a four-time decade high? I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7 and here's what they said. The obvious reason we are getting out of a two-year pandemic, when use goes up, price goes up. But the call is predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? Russia is one of the top three producers of oil, and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. 
So with people being scared of war and limited resources. A couple uh, dozen uh, TikTok uh, celebrities, stars, influencers that the White House invited to a Zoom call to do a special Q&A and then ask them to go out into the world and uh, and help them. Spread the word. Yeah, the shorter word for this is propaganda. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, this is. First of all, I want to know if these people are being paid because these influencers are often paid for some of the posts and things they say. I'm not saying they aren't. I don't know anything, but I'd like to know if anybody is getting paid here. And number two, it's it it is amazing to me. First of all, the Biden White House doesn't tell the truth a lot. I mean, they frequently lie and a lie about things. They omit. I mean, even today, Joe Biden's out tweeting about how he's personally reducing the deficit. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's beyond the pale. These people lie all the time, and they've obviously tried to uh, line up these TikTokers to join in with the lying. It's 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 propaganda. I don't know what else to call it. It's it's so easy to see why they would think this is a good idea. A White House that is so wrapped up in the blue checkmark Twitter sphere with a chief of staff who seems to spend his entire day tweeting. Where the the rest of us out here in flyover country don't care what these people have to say about foreign policy, and uh, Sean we'll... does. Oh, you know me. That's where I go for my foreign policy. <laughs> I mean, you said that, and Sean is just. I actually follow that girl. Do I, that's... you? No, no. <laughs> you do now. <laughs> no, but, but Kevin, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as to say the flyover country doesn't look at t- TikTok. I didn't say they don't look at TikTok, but I'm not. I, I don't have TikTok, but I don't think we're going there to understand what's going on in ukraine i think a lot of people watch tiktok and i think flyover country would be grateful to just have one tiktok star that would have our talking points that would just be great that would be great what what can we scott scott Scott, you need to get on tiktok yeah that that seems like a medium that was made for my (laughs) yeah particular style show your dance moves And, and Here's make, my and, hot take from oh, Flyover. Well, did, you, did you hear on that you clip? By the way, you could hear like the little soundtrack, like the little yeah. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how about how about makeup tips before you go on CNN? <laughs> you should do that. Do you wear eyeliner? Eyeliner, no, but I do know about blending, and so. Uh, <laughs> oh just, my uh, goodness! I could makeup tips. I would watch that. You would. We would all subscribe for makeup tips from Scott. Davis. We would not all subscribe. <laughs> you for might. That. You should. No. <laughs> but this whole concept. Now, I guess if you have to tell the story, I mean, there's, there's some way to get it out. Is it creative? Is it? I, I no, was thinking listen, the, they, they, they're taking advantage of these people. That's what this is. Yes. They're, they're taking advantage of the fact that these people see it as a good opportunity to sit down with the White House for them to go to their network and then tell what they've learned. I mean, these are these are Biden administration talking points. This is not even journalism. It's not even that they were you expecting journalism. On no, TikTok? but but what I'm saying is they, they like are non traditional just... surrogates for a message. Yeah, and, and I mean surrogate surrogate work has been part of politics for a long time, and they've just decided to get people who have no idea what's going on because they don't ask questions and they just reread what they were told. Right. And so do we <laughs> think know? do we think like you know that they had even a moderate or 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 right of center person that was a, happened to be a TikTok star that posts about their John Deere tractors. I've seen them on TikTok. Uh, you think they had any of those people on? No, they had people on that they knew we're not going to ask questions. We're going to read their talking points off of a screen. What's interesting, of course, is you know Barack Obama's campaign really kind of you know used social media first to make a difference. Uh, Donald Tr- Trump took it to the next level and bypassed the media altogether to be able to talk directly to his followers. What's interesting about this is that Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Ron Klain, whomever, they realize they are not they can't be the messengers. They need someone else 
rather than Donald Trump basically talking directly to the people through Twitter, they're saying, we can't do it. They're not going to listen to us. We I, need for you know. to talk I think, instead. I think Prime Minister Klain does think that he can do that because he, <laughs> right. you know, there's all these right. Twitter accounts well, dedicated to his Twitter likes. Is that right? Yeah. The, every time that he likes something, there's these accounts, these bots that retweet his likes. He, like, they, they know what they're doing. He they're, pretty frequently retweets himself, too. Which yeah. Is a I mean, like, they. Really good pat on the back. I mean, I don't blame them for using the tools and the people that, that are, you know, uh, sympathetic to their cause and their message for using the, the, the surrogates that are available to them. I just wish that we had like one. I think you could do this. Me? Yes. Oh. TikTok Sean. Yeah. Uh, uh. Let's talk about the, the other <laughs> the other big development uh, that we talk about frequently on this um, podcast is, is mask policy. Oh. And we saw... Big day in the U.S. Senate. Big oh. day because not only did 49 Republican senators vote to to end the mask mandates on public transportation, but eight Democratic senators I know. Okay. joined Scott, the club. Scott, I, I, I've been wanting to talk to you all day about this because did you know that the science changed? <laughs> I did know that. And, I, uh, the science been, changed, by the way, when the Congress met in that room for Zelensky yeah, on Wednesday. It, was, it, 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 it's... It, it, first of all, the Democrats who voted to end the man, I mean, they know what's what. I mean, they're out talking to their people. They, <laughs> I mean, they know what's going on. It was heartening to see them actually finally respond to the people. It's, it's crazy to me that the Biden administration extended another 30 days on this mask mandate on uh, transportation. And I, I don't understand. It, it, once again, Joe Biden is going to be the last person to this party. It's it's every situation he's in, every problem he has, he is the last person to get there on where everyone else is already headed. He was the last person to get there on Ukraine. He's the last person to get there on masks. And he's the last person to get you know there on you know nominating people of color to the Supreme Court. <laughs> he is the he is literally the last person because he was one of the first people to try to stop it from happening. So I just the politics of this are so stupid for them. And I don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And nobody out there, if you want to wear a mask on an airplane, fine. The mandate is what is ridiculous. And I just, I'm at a loss here. I'm at a loss. And I'm also at a loss about why Mitt Romney, who I like and worked for, who voted with the Democrats on it, it made no sense to me. And by the way, Rand Paul forced this vote. Mm-hmm. He deserves a lot of credit. He does. He does because you know this whole entire pandemic, he was treated like a pariah on a lot of these issues. And now that you know there's all these treatments and testing and everything that is available, a lot of people, including myself, have come around to to to. And I was frankly with him a large part of the way, frankly. But a lot of people have come around to his views now. Oh, and, yeah. and these people who cannot cannot let go. In fact, and again, Scott, I agree with you. If you want to wear a mask. Fine. Wear a mask. You can do that if that makes you feel comfortable. I'm not sure how helpful it is to your actual stopping the spread of disease, especially when we have these amazing vaccines. But, you know, do what you want to do. The fact that this is where we are now, I'm glad that this is this is a moment to celebrate, that it's a bipartisan moment. The other Rand Paul uh, legislation, uh, legislation he's trying to push is basically to kind of 
dismantle the office that Anthony Fauci currently holds so that not one person can ever hold that much sway over the entire American people. This is an excellent point he's making, because during this emergency, we outsource Mm -hmm. so much to one unelected bureaucrat. Not a single person voted for Anthony Fauci. And he's been in the government 30-something years, and, I'm, you know, he's rendered great service, you know, to the federal government. But we've invested so much moral right. and public health authority into one guy. And, I mean, let's be honest. The reason he was deified during the whole run-up in COVID to start was because one time during a press conference, he made a funny face when Donald Trump was talking. And so the media decided at that point he was one of them. To annoy him. He was one of them, and therefore he must be he must be listened to and followed at all costs. He cannot be questioned. It is unfair, and you're against the science if you question him. He then bought into that own narrative for himself. No one government bureaucrat should be able to do that. We don't elect these bureaucrats. They work for the politicians, and yet he was elevated above our elected portion of our government. It was very, very bad, very bad, because... He's just a person, and he can be wrong, and I think he was wrong a lot of the way through this. That's one example of disconnect in D.C. Another one I want to ask you guys about is that you know we've, we've heard so often in the last few weeks especially about the need for American energy independence, and certainly with our situation with, you know, with Russia and, and, and the fact that we did have energy independence until Joe Biden became president and decided to uh, shut the, down the Keystone Pipeline. That's not things. what the TikToker said. That, well, thank you. I'm sorry. Which one should I believe? Fact her check. or you? Yeah. I don't even know. So now, <laughs> despite the fact that we have you know gasoline at 4.25 a gallon, at least in Louisville, Kentucky, and even more in some other parts, that of, poor girl paying seven dollars a gallon yeah, out there. I guess she's in California. True. So, so out of so, I guess in this extreme moment of clarity, so House progressives this week are planning to call on the president. To do what? To use his executive power to declare climate change a national emergency and ban fossil fuel drilling on public lands. I think this, you should do it. I think you should do it. <laughs> I mean, at, 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 at what point does it get through to someone? These are people clearly trying to win elections in November. I just want to say, like, if you are, if you are on war footing, like we, we believe that we are, if you are on war footing, you, you do things that are beyond the norm. And so that means, like— Raising up oil production in order to make sure that the populace that you're presiding over is with you the whole entire way. You know, we have victory gardens back in World War II. You know, you, you take extreme measures in order to make sure that the people that uh, that are with you c- can be relied upon and that they have all the resources that they, they need going forward. And I don't understand, like, it, it does it. It has less to do with what Vladimir Putin wants to do, more so than like building national resolve as you move forward through what could be a very long campaign. And and I have no idea why they are they are hesitating on this or why they're advocating for saying that you know we're going to focus on a, a declaration of a national emergency on climate change at there, this there, point. There's two two things about this that struck me as interesting. One is that the the political timing of it was just horrific for Biden <laughs> because it completely saying. undercuts. I mean, I mean this is the thing. I mean, they're out on the one hand blaming oil companies or blaming Vladimir Putin and Republicans are saying, "Hey, you've been pretty hostile to, you know, production in the United States." No, we haven't. And then his, you know, this big chunk of his party is out asking for this. 
the political timing of it was weird. But you know the other thing, and I, I wrote about this a while back, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I predicted that once the pandemic subsided, that the idea of using emergency powers for other things would has, would have taken hold among the left, and you would see it. Climate, guns, you know, other whatever. Masks else. on airplanes. Yeah, whatever else they can think of. The thing about emergencies is what we learned during the pandemic, you can bypass a lot of legislative bodies and just do stuff when you get these emergency powers. And so I'm not at all surprised to see them learning a lesson from the pandemic, which is, look, if you were them and climate change is a, is a religion for you and you believe it's killing people, to, to them, there's no difference between COVID and climate change. There's no difference between COVID and gun violence. And so if we're going to have emergency powers for one, why shouldn't we have emergency powers for all of it? And by the way, it's so much easier when you declare an emergency. You don't have to deal with the pesky legislators and the pesky people and the pesky voters. We can just do what we want to do, which is how the left wants government. They want this authoritarian, totalitarian power because they're smart and we're stupid and we just need to get out of the way and let them handle it. That's their worldview. And the way to it is through these emergency power ideas. So that they put it together now is terrible political timing for Biden, but not at all surprising to me uh, that, that this line of thinking has taken hold on the left. I think they've taken it to a new level. But at the same time, Donald Trump used quite a few executive orders of his own. And so that that's opened every, the door. Every, every president has has stacked executive authority on the previous president. That's exactly that, right. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Trump did some, too. The one good thing about this Ukrainian issue with Congress is sort of reasserting itself here and, and, and sort of the, the leadership role of that branch, and they're doing it in a bipartisan way, we can only hope that Congress continues to feel <laughs> its oats <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and reassert its, its, its rightful position in our government. Yeah, when, when there's a group of people saying stuff like this and trying to centralize power in an executive, it sounds like a great time to study the Constitution and look back and remember why the separation of powers is important. And if in November Democrats aren't controlling all the levers of government in Washington like we don't expect them to, then Biden's probably going to have to deal with these Republicans a lot more. If I'm a strategist for the climate caucus or whatever they call themselves, I'm fairly concerned right now that this reordering of the world and the priorities when you know when the rubber hits the road uh, is 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 going to sacrifice my priorities. In other words, this is going to because ultimately it's one thing for me to say, oh yeah, I believe in solar. Oh yeah, I believe in you should do more of that kind of stuff. But when it actually affects people over a long period of time. To the effect of where you have inflation at seven or eight percent, plus gas prices at four twenty-five and up, plus you know the the fact that the the energy uh, dependence, the problem, the, the lack of energy independence has caused electric and, and natural gas and other fuel bills to go up. I mean, this is this is real world implications for people. Well, I just I just also think that like probably compared to other countries, we probably do it in a safer way. We probably do it in a cleaner way. We probably produce more in an efficient manner than anybody else. And so even if you are a, a, a person that really much cares about this climate issue, why wouldn't you want the United States being the leader of it, you know, compared to Saudi Arabia or Russia or any of these uh, Venezuela, like the human rights abuses that go on, like – if you care about soft power, isn't it more important to have all of these other countries dependent upon 
us as a good moral force in the world providing oil and but that's the thing they, they i don't think they actually believe that america is a force for good in the world that's true they don't true. they don't believe that we are a force for good in fact i i would go as far as that. a lot of them believe we're a force for bad in the world that we right. perpetuate bad behavior especially in the energy sector and they don't want anybody dependent upon anybody for oil because they don't want oil at all they want all fossil fuels banned right now and so the idea that we would be doing it better I mean, they, they don't, they wouldn't see, I agree with you, they wouldn't see it that way because any production in their mind is evil. It's more, it's immoral. It's corrupt. You're destroying the planet. Even if you are doing it better, uh, you know, you're just, you're just a more efficient killer of the earth. The idea that our response, that, you know, the state, to go back to the state of the union where he was like, we're going to, we're going to buy American, we're going to do this. And his answer now is we're going to buy Venezuelan it's crazy. for oil or we're going to buy Iranian. I know it is. It is. It is absolutely bonkers. This guy was on uh, with on Sunday on CNN. Colin Allred, the congressman from Texas, a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, nice guy. Played in the NFL, uh, worked in the Obama administration. But you know, he was <laughs> he was kind of going through his recitation of his talking points Sunday, and he, and, and we were discussing the energy issue. And he said, "Oh, Biden's working with our friends and allies to make <laughs> sure we have." Ample production. And I said, wait a minute, what friends and allies? Are you talking about the Venezuelans, the Iranians? I mean, these are not our friends and allies. We're begging these terrible regimes for their oil. And at the same time, Biden is canceling, you know, uh, federal leases. I, it's, it, it, I think the common sense still means something in American politics. And they don't look like they have common sense on this issue. These progressives are making it even worse for Biden. We have common sense here in flyover country, don't we, Joe? You better believe them. And speaking of which, one final – Kevin, thanks to you for flagging this earlier in the afternoon. Uh, another example of it's one thing to have maybe a, a goal or an aspiration. It's something else when uh, the, the real-world implications come home to roost. And you have an update from Seattle. Right. Uh, Amazon. Everybody's favorite mega corporation has decided to move its employees out of its Seattle office, 1,800 employees, and move them out of their Seattle office. And why? What do they they, uh, cite? The spike in crime all across Seattle. In a short amount of time, there was on Amazon's doorstep a fatal shooting, a stabbing, a man ramming his car at a federal building. And so this mega liberal organization who – I imagine was pretty okay with the policies and the police and policies that were happening in Seattle has decided too much crime. Can't go there. We're pulling out. Why are they moving just these 1800 people? That's everybody in their, in their Seattle office. They are literally moving out of Seattle. They're temporarily, uh, finding other safer places for these people to work while they reevaluate the situation. They work remotely so, for a longer period of time until they figure this out. That wow. was my question. Like, how many people do you think are actually, do we know how many people are actually, like, working in that building since they probably were all very COVID conscious? You talk about a mask mandate. I bet Amazon's not a mask mandate. Yeah, I, I think that is the case. I think they're, they're working remotely. Yeah. But at the same time, you're trying to bring people back. Right. You know, but, of course, what we're talking about here is another example, such as the one with, you know, I believe in these climate policies until it actually affects me. And I believe in these, you know, whatever defund the police, defund the police, the police until, until until my neighbor get, gets killed. I get held up right. trying to go in to make sure that the prime delivery is made on time. <laughs> that's right. So it's just it is. It, it's a, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I, t- to me that's a uh, uh, another example again of of I think where Democrats are going to face some real challenges this fall. Oh, crime's going to be big 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 item on the menu for Republican campaigns. No question. That's why Biden brought it up in the State of the Union. He's trying to separate himself 
from the defund movement. Of course, immediately after his speech, mm-hmm. you know, he had Democrats attacking him uh, over it. And the thing is, you just it's just not who his party is. I mean, they there are a lot of Democrats out there and it's not just defund the police. It's this bail issue. It's it's I mean, there's a lot of other criminal justice issues underneath it where essentially Democrats are anti-police and pro-criminal and Republicans are going to run on this. And I suspect in a lot of places it's going to be very effective. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you guys about what you've seen, read, and heard this week. I'm going to ask you, I'll, I'll bring up something myself first that I was going to bring up before on executive orders. And you're talking about how the emergencies, you know, cause people to put things in permanently. This happened in baseball. We have with the universal DH and it's happening as well with the freaking ghost runner rule that apparently they're trying to bring back. Remember well, the, the stupid well, the, rule? The runner is not a ghost. It's an actual human. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right, but put, I, I mean, I would prefer it if it was an actual ghost. But an that extra innings, putting, basically placing a runner on second base because because the ball players are scared of getting hurt. Oh, I feel so bad for them. Man, you know, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it is, give me a freaking break and grow a pair and play baseball. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, it, it, it is so sad. But MLB is walking down this line, and again, and they're using like COVID protocols as being the ex- the reason why we're going to put these things in place because of safety. It's just it is so annoying. This anyway. is no this is no longer seen red herd. This is what really grinds my gears. <laughs> but a lot of folks may have missed this, so I'm making sure that you heard about that. What's what's what are you watching these days, uh, Scott? I'm just going to read this to you guys. This popped up tonight, actually, right before we came on. So the New York Times has a story about the possibility of nuclear war. It's not zero. I'm going but, out on a high note here, Scott. Thank well, you. But, but just late in the Obama administration, two American war simulations imagined an accidental skirmish between NATO and Russia that Moscow met with a single nuclear strike. In the first, Pentagon leaders proposed a retaliatory nuclear strike to signal resolve. But a civilian White House official, Colin Call, K-A-H-L, instead persuaded them to stand down and isolate Moscow diplomatically. Mr. Call is now an undersecretary at the Pentagon. So there's a whole story in here about what would happen if, if the Russians did detonate a nuclear weapon. And there's at least one voice in the room who would not allow the United States to retaliate. Well, because if we did, then Putin might send another one. I mean, that's, that's the reasoning, right? What are you for? That's so I mean, foreign to the mutually assured destruction that yeah. right. you know kept the world safe for decades. I know. And now that it's it, it's it's out there, I mean, it, it is interesting that we're letting Putin dictate the terms oh, of right. this entire I, engagement. I mean, what do we have? A bunch of pea shooters? I mean, I mean, right. we're the biggest nuclear power well, in the world. Okay, this is a let's talk about it maybe next week or hopefully it'll be over by then. Who's to say? I, I doubt it's going to be. But I mean, to me, what needs to happen here? The entire war has been fought on Ukraine soil. We need some. We need someone to send some missiles into Moscow. We need. We need. We need Russia to be hit here. Wow. And, I mean. I mean. I'm you, you are for a massive escalation. <laughs> I thought I was going out on a limb saying, you know, we should. You know, you said democratically but I'm overthrow. Putin. But I'm saying if he's getting up, yeah, Putin is is putting up with the. You know, he doesn't care how many soldiers it's going to cost. That's that's why soldiers exist, as far as he's concerned, is to fight for the motherland, and they're, and they're going to have X number of. But that's all. That's all acceptable damage for the sake. Somewhere, of, Dick Cheney is like just yes. grinning ear to ear with what you have. You I'm have just said. saying that 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 up, up until this, nothing's going to impress Putin except for actually getting uh, being threatened himself. All right, who else hasn't gone? Oh wait. You guys got to go. We got to let Craw- Crawford has to talk about Brady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. The bad man's back. Uh. Yes. Everybody thought the nightmare was over. At least another year. 
Um, so yeah, strap in. It's good. I, I think we, Joe, you might've even said this when he retired, it felt like Brett Favre. I think we all kind of knew he was coming back. Sean saying it might have been Sean, but I think we all kind of knew that this was going to happen, but, uh, just glad to watch the greatest to ever do it. Strap it up one more time at least. So th- what's neat about this though, is not only is Tom Brady revoking his retirement, they're also revoking David Ortiz's hall of fame induction. It's all part <laughs> of the whole new England. Yeah, exactly. Do over I, some I, of the, some of the tweets about Brady uh, about, about like, you know, do you see Eric Erickson's? Uh, he, he said, he said, it's like, Oh, this, this Biden inflation's so bad. It's brought Brady out of retirement. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, I saw somebody say he spent like two months with his family and realized. Yeah. 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 Kevin. Uh, the wife and I went to a, a comedy show this weekend at the KFC Yum Center. Uh, you went and saw John Mulaney? I went and saw John Mulaney. Whoa! Thousands of people, not a mask in sight. They it's, locked it's your phone up, too. It's been so, so long since I was... They locked know, your phone up for that? They gave you a little bag that you had to put your phone in, so you got to hold on to it the whole time, and you could feel it vibrating, but you couldn't see what was going on. Why? So you couldn't record. You can't record it through a bag? How do they no, know? No, it, it was a totally opaque bag. I mean, is this like the honor system that you keep it in the bag? Couldn't you open no, it up it's, the bag? No, it's, it's like the, you know, when you go to a store, a uh, clothing store, and they've got the security devices on them that they have so to take you, off at the counter. So, like, so when you left the event, they had to take it off? They had to take it off, yeah. And they had special zones There's more security around. there than there is, like, at the Kremlin. It's, <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's yeah. incredible. Was it funny? It was It was great. He's amazing. Have you ever watched really John funny. Mulaney? I'm familiar with his work. I believe he was the voice of the spider pig in uh, right. the Spider-Man multiverse movie. Yeah, yeah. So I know about that. So he, he, he talked about his exciting <laughs> what did he talk year. About? <laughs> uh, he... Um, He's had, been had, had a kid a recently. Yeah. He uh, had an intervention. Had went to rehab. He, he said all that on Saturday Night Live. Okay, um, and it was just really funny. I did see that he was selling shirts that said that said uh, I saw him after he got out of rehab. <laughs> like it was just a white T-shirt that just said that with black text on it. Did you not get? You didn't buy a shirt. I, I didn't. Buy was the, the arena full? Uh, the lower level. They had seats all on the floor. I mean, they had closed off the upper. Bits, but it was it was packed. For those folks listening on the coasts, uh, the KFCM Center is an NBA-like arena in Louisville. It does not have an NBA team. Yeah, it uh, is acoustically perfect, though. Yeah, it's it's a good place to watch stuff. <laughs> is that right? It's just like Carnegie Hall. <laughs> many 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 people are saying that it is acoustically. Many people are saying. Perfect. I saw wrestling there, which the that acoustic- was acoustically perfect too. <laughs> yeah. Did anybody body slam John Mulaney or? Uh, no, but no. Th- there were some people making moves. You know, I've been told I look like John Mulaney. You look like the guy from uh, from Mary Poppins. Dick Van Dyke? No, the, the, on, the, on the Mary Poppins, the, 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 the reboot that they did a few years ago, you look just like the, the I father look like, on there. I look like the son that all like grown up. Like, yeah. You, we'll we'll, we'll have to like put him. this on Twitter oh, and, and let the listeners he decide. He looks just like him. You oh, wore a beard so you can mask it. But you, you know you look just like him. I have been told that before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You do. I mean, he's a handsome man. Wait, you said they did a reboot? Of Mary Poppins. Mary but, Poppins Returns. Yeah, it came out about maybe like, three or four years ago. Mary Poppins. And, and, and yeah, the, the young man who was sort of the, the father of the family undergoing sort of the, the, the crisis of the... <laughs> did you look it up? Show us. <laughs> I'm not even going to get to my, my scene red herd. We're seeing your doppelganger. That's not him. Yeah, that's him. Oh, the first one I saw. Oh, okay. Is that what he looked like in the Mary Poppins show? Oh, that does kind of uh, look like yeah. Sean. What's his name? Ben Wishaw. There you go, buddy. 
That's your future. So he he also played uh, in the 007 movies Q, the like techie guy. Ah, okay. So. The gadget guy, yeah. You had more you wanted to say. I've said it all. Did you have to pay a lot of money to see John Mulaney? So we had a credit from a concert that got canceled two and a half years ago. So it t- it cost me seven dollars to go see John. Do you, do you go see a lot of live performances? Uh, no, this is whenever my wife has a birthday, we'll go see one. Oh. So I'm gonna an- go see annually. Him. Yeah, right. I'm gonna go see him in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. Okay, here show we us. This is. Are, you, are we still so doing this? Talking into the microphone, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is you. That does look like Sean, actually. It looks, it's it's just that same quizzical look. <laughs> I'm going to shave off this everything is, but the mustache. I'm telling you, that look. is Sean. You do. He has. He's even giving this. His eyebrows are even. Yeah. Is it the cardigan? Is that what it is? <laughs> oh, it's everything. Goodness. It's the whole package. I was this sitting watching. <laughs> I was watching with my nieces and nephews and my children. And I was like, "Why is Sean <laughs> in Mary Poppins Returns?" Joe, I'm honored. <laughs> I was thinking about you. All right, what have you? What do you got, Sean? <laughs> so uh, I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank recently. Yes. I think Shark nice. Tank is one of the greatest shows. I think that more people should watch Shark Tank. I don't like whatever whispering's going on over there. Yeah. Uh, I would like to talk about this article that I read in the National Review today by Dan McLaughlin called The Hater's Guide to Woodrow Wilson. Um, oh, yeah. One of yeah. My, my favorite things to do is to hate on Woodrow Wilson. He was pretty bad. And so I'm just going to read, read this quote. Quote, I come now not to explain Wilson, but to hate him. <laughs> <laughs> A national consensus on hating Wilson is long overdue. While conservatives have particular reasons to detest Wilson, and all his works, and all his empty promises. (laughs) There is more than enough in his record for everyone to join in this great and unifying cause. And so I would encourage everyone to read this piece. It's very good. You know, he was, he really is. Woodrow Wilson can suck it. That's right. According to Sean. He is the worst. He is the absolute worst person to, ah, I hate him. I hate his guts. What about Edith? Also bad. (laughs) <laughs> all the tried. Wilsons of that era <laughs> terrible the only Wilson that I am pro is Addie Wilson Kevin's wife oh that's very nice she's Addie Grout now I gotcha <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Sean, Jared, Scott thank you all and I think Jared has something special to take us out with this week in honor of Sean's star turn and Mary Poppins oh, Returns oh my goodness <laughs> have a great week everybody fly over country with Scott Jennings <laughs> I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. There he is! Remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.